Welcome back to season three of the Therapy Dogs Australia podcast. Kicking off 2024, Sam and I are offering this podcast as a free resource for those who think they may need a pre-course consultation before studying with us. We cover a lot of frequently asked questions and Sam runs through what a pre-course consultation entails so that you know what to expect and to find out if you even need to book one. Let's just say you're welcome. Enjoy. Hello, hello. (laughs) Welcome back, everyone, to season three of the Therapy Dogs Australia podcast. We're back for another year. We've got Sam King, the owner of Therapy Dogs Australia. Hello. Hello. And myself, Max, who's the social media manager. Um, But if you've been following the podcast, of course, you already know that. Um, So we're going to kick off the year with discussing pre-course consults. So for anyone who's thinking about studying with us um, and haven't you haven't taken that step uh, and you might have some questions or thought about booking in one of our pre-course consults, we're going to go through some of the more basic overview of, of things um, that you'd be given in that consult. Um, and hopefully we can answer some of those questions that we often get, help you make the the right decision, the best decision for you. This was going to be like a, should be like a fairly structured kind of mm. conversation because um, I'm looking at, I've got visual aids. So, <laughs> <laughs> so get comfortable. <laughs> we, we'll see what difference that makes. Um, so we're, the reason we're doing this, so if you have been directed to listen to this podcast, that's the reason that we made it. So um, what happens is a therapy dog sort of career is pretty hard to get established. It's pretty hard to have the right dog. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks easy. People make it look easy. Uh, it's not that easy. So we really want to try and capture we do through our application form process and our pre-course consult booking form, we try to capture the people who we think need some advice or guidance before you go and spend your money on booking into a course because the training journey itself is expensive and it's quite an investment. Mm. Now, if you get into the course or you get partway through a course or something like that and you realise that your dog's not right, that happens sometimes. Um, even if you've done a pre-course consult, that can happen. So um, when that happens, though, we graduate you, like if you do your theory and your assignments and stuff, we graduate you with a handler-only certificate. So you've still got all your professional development there. Um, and should you come across an opportunity to have a, a different, more suitable dog in the future, um, you've done your handler training, so we just need to assess that dog in the future, depending on how far down the track it is, of course. Um, so, yeah, there's not all is lost if we, um, you know, end up in a situation where we've done the course and we we aren't finishing up with a, a, a um, trained and assessed therapy dog. However, we do want to avoid that as much as possible because it mm. is an investment. It's a time investment and it's a money investment as well. So it's very sad when you can't pass a dog. For the therapy oh, dog works. Sucks. Especially um when it's an obvious no. Hmm. Uh that's very difficult and frustrating. Um, but the we actually don't really get that many obvious no's. We get more like of the maybes, and then those ones are more difficult to assess and more difficult to 
pass or fail because it's yeah they're a little bit more complicated to um read and understand and we're assessing the dog and the handler together as well so it's not just about the dog it's about the handler too yeah because you're a team yes um this conversation came up in I think it might have been one of our January courses um where uh one of the participants mentioned like oh you should do the temperament assessment because we do our temperament assessments as the final piece of your graduation um and someone was like oh I should do that first so that people know whether their dog's suitable or not and I was like the problem with that is that a lot of your dogs would be not suitable until you've done our training so we don't expect you to know how to handle the dog as a you know quasi-professional dog handler which is what you're becoming by including a dog into your workplace or in a volunteering context you're becoming a professional dog handler we don't expect you to be a professional dog handler before you get to us and we the training that we do with the dogs is going to improve the dog's temperament um, Mm. and resilience. There's only a fairly um, limited window in which we can do that, but there certainly will be an improvement. And there's, I would say 99.9% of the time, there's an improvement in the relationship between the handler and the dog. And we get that feedback all the time, all the time from people that their relationship with their dog has improved exponentially. What that does is it gives the dog confidence and resilience and, you know, curiosity and things like that. So, and we need those traits. That's what your assessor wants to see. So um, there's no fun in assessing you before the course and being like, nah, when really the course itself could actually get you over the line. The pre-course console is designed to capture the hell no dogs. So, and the handlers that have just got, um, what we tend to get in the pre-course consult is either very, very keen handlers who want to start talking to us before the courses, which is great. Um, and we get people who don't want to read through the website. It's That's not their preferred method of receiving the information. They prefer mm. to have a, the consult and have a conversation. That's also great. So um, there's reasons to have a pre-course consult. The reason we're trying to... Um, talk about it today is to save you the money. So it costs money to have a pre-course consult. It's an hour of our time. Um, so, and our expertise as well. So you're getting this one for free, um, but you don't get the one-on-one individual for free. And that's why we're doing this one is to try and help people see um, whether or not they need one. So what I said to that person um, is in the course, it said that about the temperament assessment is like, well, we, we don't want to scare people away but we do do pre-course consults. We've done pre-course consults from the for years. Like it would be at least five years we've been doing pre-course consults. Um, and it's for people who just aren't sure if their dog's going to be suitable. And, and also people who want to meet us and aren't sure if we're going to be the right fit for them as well, mm. which is just mm. as important that you, you choose the provider that you um, gel the best with um, because there's no there's other providers out there like there's you know go and you know do it so you're going to be so not only are you going to spend the money on the training initially but you're stuck with that company for your reassessments as well FYI. yeah you've really got to love love the yeah. organization mm. yeah you're stuck with them so we won't reassess dogs from another company I don't know if the other companies do it or not um but we won't 
take a dog from another company and reassess them, they have to do one of our courses because we don't know what the other companies are teaching people in their courses. We're not privy to that information. So to make sure that all of our teams are up to our standard, um, and I don't know, the other companies might have a way higher standard. I have no idea, but we just don't know that. So to make sure that our teams are, you know, within what, what our expectations are, we um, make them do the course. So that's another, you know, 1500 to $2,000, depending on what course you're doing. And then your yearly reassessments. So you want to be sure. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're already like, I don't know, um, listen to our backlog of podcasts as well to get an idea. Of, yeah, there's um, heaps of information. There's heaps of information. Yeah. And, and also a- the community versus clinical, if you want more info mm-hmm. on the courses, have a whole podcast on that as well. It's worth a listen to if you're deciding um, mm. on that, even though just like every podcast we ever do, we ramble on a bit, but it's got a lot of information in between mm. all of that. So, you know. <laughs> and you still... get to know us, which I think <laughs> yeah. is helpful. And we keep your company on your drive to work and all that. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So should you be doing a pre-course consult? Um, no, generally speaking. Um, unless you've got some concerns about the suitability of your dog. The first question I need to answer in here before I move on into our forms and what's captured in them, an assistance dog is different to a therapy dog. Mm. An emotional support dog is different to both. We only train therapy dogs. Therapy dogs are visitation dogs that go into a nursing home to visit their residents there. They go into a hospital to visit the patients there. They go to work um, with you if you're a psychologist, counsellor, social worker, podiatrist, physio, whatever your job is, um, and you want to do animal-assisted therapy, they go to your workplace with you and they help you with your human clients to facilitate you know, human-animal bond and um, improve the delivery of our evidence-based interventions in line with the scope of our existing practice. What they are not, so all they go into schools with other volunteers or they're with a teacher or a guidance officer or a school psychologist or something like that. Assistance dogs are a dog that is there to assist you and help you with what you've got going on for yourself so whether that's a mental health issue or a physical disability or diabetes whatever it is a medical alert dog that sort of thing that's an assistance dog so a dog that is to help you as one person it's your dog and it's helping you that's an assistance dog or an emotional support dog if you're not going through a formal um, channel of assessment so we don't train those dogs it has happened before that someone's booked a pre-course consult and they've been after an assistance dog. And I've been like, we are not even, it's not even worth mm. having this conversation, have your money back. Like it's not even, we're not, it's, there's, this has got going to go mm. nowhere. Mm. Mm. Um, so I'd like to avoid that because it is a waste of my time. Um, we do have things in place to try and avoid that, but this is just another one of those things uh, to make sure that people understand if you are looking for an assistance dog. So if you're emailing because you want to, therapy dog quote unquote what your words to assist your autistic child at your house um with sleeping and whatever that's not a therapy dog that's either going to be an assistance dog or some kind of companion emotional support whatever dog so which is just a pet really it's just yeah. a well-trained pet that you yeah. love very much um and that's fine 
we love those dogs. It's all great. We love assistance dogs, whatever. It's just not what we do. So we are only doing therapy dogs. So this is you taking your dog into a visitation setting or into your workplace to assist you to provide a service to somebody else. Okay. I think that's clear. Yeah. All right. Now, some people contact us. They want to, pre to book a pre-course consult. So like I said, they um, might want to ask us questions. Um, I'll address that at the end, but I'm going to go through first um, the things that we screen for. In our application form for our courses, so we don't, you can't just buy our courses. You've got to fill out an application form and then you've got to be approved. The reason for that is because we're trying to filter out the people who we think you're already in a not suitable um, scenario. Okay. To save you money. So that you don't yes, come and for do their the benefit. course. Yeah. <laughs> come and do the course and get to day one and are like, oh, this is, these guys have got this. We, no, this isn't, this isn't going to work. This yeah. doesn't work, you know? Um, okay. So the application form is designed to assist you to make a decision about whether or not our courses fit you and to help us. I review every single one of them. Um, that's not someone else's job. That's my job. Uh, and same with the pre-course consult forms. I review all of those as well. So it's my eyes that go over them. What happens primarily in the application form process is that I will, if I've got some red flags that get raised, I'll email the person back and get more information. If I've got some concerns, then I will recommend that they do a pre-course consult. They can either do that or not do that. That's up to you. Um, but there will be some things that I'll say, we're just not the right fit for you. Um, but there'll be other things that I'll go, listen, if you want to roll the dice and see if, you know, if you want to not do a pre-course consult, you just want to roll the dice and do the course and see what happens. That's totally up to you. That's fine. We will take your money. So, but I'll be making a note of that. So if you come back later. <laughs> I'll have it in writing. <laughs> it'll be in writing. <laughs> uh, funny. Okay, so we basically just collect your demographic stuff and the dog stuff. Now, do you own this dog and have full responsibility for them? The reason we ask that question is because we do not train facility dogs. Mm. What is a facility dog, you ask? That is a dog that is owned by a school, owned by a company, and they are putting the dog with a staff member through the course um, to be the handler. Why won't you do that, Sam? There's lots of other training organizations that will do that and whatever, whatever. Uh, because we did it a couple of times and it was a goddamn shit show. And mm. those dogs were not advocated for. They didn't have an advocate. Um, I haven't told this story for a while, so I'm forgetting. There's definitely one dog that we know that wasn't being, it just got handed around um, to staff members they had other staff members come and do the course to be the handlers. They weren't engaged in the course. They weren't interested. They didn't do, they didn't even finish it. They didn't do it. Um, beautiful dog. And I don't know what happened with the dog. I don't know. Got passed around. We actually sent that place a letter to say, you need to do something about this dog. You know, like it's, this is not acceptable. Um, no response. We're not a regulatory body. There's nothing we can do. The dog it wasn't so like concerning, no though, that you didn't get a response just no, because the they were, you know, like just general concern for welfare. And this is in the early days, too. Like, mm. this is the kind of shit that we've done that we've learned from. Um, and I just won't do it again. 
until there's some kind of regulatory body or someone in place that can go around there and make you look after your goddamn dog, then I'm not going to be involved in facility dogs. Mm. One of the other ones was a school. Actually, these were both schools. These examples were both schools. Another one, that dog ended up biting. Um, and it got That's a really sad yeah. result. Yeah. What the hell? And it was being part, we had an insider that was giving us information about it. It was just such a mess that we didn't train that dog, actually. That was a dog that um, was at a school and we had trained a dog at that school. And so that person was giving us some information about what was going on and that dog was getting passed around and ended up biting. Actually, actually that dog was given to them by another company, which I'm not going to name, but that dog was given to them by another company. And yeah, it was actually a huge mess. Like I was like, because they were coming to us and I was like, you need to go back to them and tell them what's going on and get some support and whatever. But it was a, a dead end. Um, like you said, there's no one to report it to. Like there's, there's no one to, to regulate it. Yeah. It was it's just so like, sad. It's, just, mm. it's actually bullshit. So, mm. um, and there was a third one that I usually recall, but I can't right now. Um, but anyway, we've had a few. It's not, it doesn't work in my opinion, the way that we are in this industry at the moment, it doesn't work. So if that's what you're considering doing, um, we're not going to work with you. That's a that's one of the ones that I just won't um, negotiate on. Um, that's probably a little bit of a trauma <laughs> thing. Understandably. It was, it was really hard for our team. Yeah. Um, like knowing we... when to just also let go of that as well like Mm. sort of watching that all unfold and not being able to really do anything about it is really tough we'd invested a lot of time into that dog um Mm. as well and you know I knew the dog quite well and the handlers and stuff so anyway that was annoying um so uh and we'd we'd even done reassessment like we'd known them for a few years Mm. you know and then she got passed around and it was just yeah yeah a mess just a mess. Uh, so if you do not own the dog and have full legal responsibility for them, I'm going to be asking questions about that. So the very next question is who is the legal owner? Some of the things that will be okay is if the dog has a, an owner, but you're going to be the handler, um, but the owner's in the picture, but they have one owner, you know, like there's a one person who owns this dog and loves it and is an advocate for it. I prefer owner handlers. I think it's a lot easier owner handlers, but Jen, really, like you can handle a dog that you don't own. You've got to know the dog and have a um a relationship. Yes, a relationship with them for longer than six months. Why is that? Because you're gonna be the dog's lifeline. You're their support person. So it's very important that they know you very well and they trust you and they're, you know, reading your cues and all that sort of stuff, even your, you know, subconscious ones. Um, and also that you know them very, very well and you know their body language and you know their what types of things you can predict stuff that they're going to do or like or respond to or whatever. The other thing is there's um, – so like I was at the clinic on Wednesday – and Nala was sitting next to Samuel, who's one of our psychologists, on the couch. And he was just patting her and he was like, oh, has she hurt her ribs? And I was like, oh, I don't know. 
and he was like how he was patting her she was just flinching back um when he touched a certain spot and I was like oh Oh. Mm. <laughs> oh Nala, what's happened? Um, so I don't know what happened to her. She's fine now. But that's the kind of thing that like when you know the dog. You know the dog. Yeah. Like so and I hadn't noticed it, but I hadn't sat on the couch next to her and pat her there. Mm. No, you know, I hadn't seen it, hadn't noticed anything that day. But Samuel knows the dog very well because we work together. Like we you know, spend time with the, the dogs all the time at lunchtime and stuff like that. She waits until he has a, his after lunch coffee um, and then that's Nala cuddle time. So while he's trying to not spill his hot coffee all over himself, she is climbing <laughs> straight away. As soon as he sits down with the, as soon as he sits down with the yeah. coffee, she's climbing up the couch, up along the back of the couch, sliding down the couch, trying to get her cuddle every time. <laughs> Afternoon routine. That's hilarious. Funny. Every time she, every time Samuel goes to get <laughs> his coffee, I go, oh, Nala cuddle time. <laughs> it's hilarious. But anyway, um, yeah, like we all know each other's dogs very well, you know. So it's the kind of thing that like, the dogs can change and same I think I've spoken about this with horses as well but um on a daily basis horses change their temperament especially mares geldings are a little bit more stable and predictable but mares can be a different like all the time so <laughs> um we need to handle them and mm. blah, 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 blah. so the point I'm making is you've got to have a, a good relationship with a dog but you've also got to have frequent contact with the dog so you know what's going on with the dog you can breed the dog you can support the dog correctly Anyway, I'm getting off track. Sorry, everybody. No, that was good. And that's okay. I think that's just a really fair point to send home what that means. Yes. Mm. Um, we will only train, we will only allow people to handle the dog if they've done our training. Um, the dog's got to be under direct supervision of their handler at all times that they're interacting with whoever. So whether that's students, clients, colleagues, um, you know, star the staff members and stuff like that. The dog needs to be under your direct supervision. We talk about that extensively, like why during the course, but all you need to know for right now is that that is going to be the case. That's one of our rules. Um, you sign all this stuff when you graduate saying that you know and acknowledge that these are the rules. Dogs being handed off to um, untrained handlers. Once you do your handler training, you'll be like, oh, this makes sense because now I'm a bloody dog genius and I'm a professional dog handler and it will make a lot of sense to you as to why we don't just hand dogs off to non-dog geniuses and non-dog professional, non-professional dog handlers. Yeah, that includes your boss. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Even if your boss asks. Your boss. And my dogs are just um, They're getting announcing it. that. Is someone here, Nella, or what's going on? <laughs> Um, she just like is talking, talking to outside. <laughs> um, okay. Are your dogs currently fit and healthy with no known injuries or untreated illnesses? Blah, 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 blah. So uh, we do say in here, um, if there's indicators of injury or illness are detected prior to or during the assessment phase, a veterinarian health assessment may be required. Um, that's just us looking out for the welfare of the dog, uh, because sometimes people come to us and they're not dog nerds. So they don't realize that their dogs have hip dysplasia. Um, they don't know that their dogs are overweight. 
if your dog is overweight, we will be telling you to get weight off your dog. So you can mm-hmm. make a decision about whether or not you're going to be offended or not offended. That's up to you. If your dog is overweight, we will be telling you to get weight off of your dog. If you're going to work your dog, we want fit, healthy dogs. If your dog has arthritis, you need to do something about it. If your dog has got um, various uh, gut issues or things like that, you need to listen to our Canine Suticals podcast. Go back. It's in season two mm-hmm. um, and listen to the common health, whatever concerns, blah, 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 that we have in therapy dogs that are going to impact their ability to have a um, safe and happy and healthy career. So you need to listen to that. Um, but if there's issues with the dog now, this encaptures senior dogs also. We will not turn away senior dogs. I do think that senior dogs should be able to have therapy dog um, opportunities in their retirement. You know, Sonny loves it. He's 12. So, you know, I'm not here to tell people that their senior dogs can't go through the training and things like that. We will make exceptions on some of our activities for senior dogs. Um, just like as if we do do that, we will obviously be making exceptions also on what putting restrictions on what you'll be doing Mm. as a team um but if the senior dog is like old and haggard then no okay (laughs) don't want to put a limit there's a limit (laughs) to that so we don't we we don't want to put them in scenario like being a therapy dog is hard work it's like it's it's proper stuff you know like i'm not gonna there's a, a, a very slim chance i'd let a senior dog go into a school for example yeah it have to also be... needs so much extra sleep. Like when they hit mm-hmm. those senior years, like they need to almost be treated a bit like puppies in terms of how much sleep they need close to Ma- it. Max and I were just catching up before we started recording because we haven't recorded since like Last months, year. since October. And I was um, telling her about, so Sunny had a big um, lipoma on his side and like every vet had told me to leave it. Don't worry about it. It's not impacting him, whatever, whatever. And it got to a point where it was getting pretty big. Um, it was in his abdomen and I was like, I don't know. I think this is impacting him. And then I took him to the vet and got a referral and blah, blah, blah. And the surgeon was like, we'll do a CT scan. He's like, it's probably not going to make that much difference. Cause I was like, I think it's impacting him like how he's moving and stuff. And he's like, he's probably just old. And I was like, yeah, he's old. Um, but I think it's, you know, and he's like, so it might not be impacting him. I was like, and I was like, that's okay. Cause we either get it off now, like the risk, cause he's, a senior the risk of being under a general is just goes up every year so Mm. um that's which is why I hadn't done it I didn't want to put him under a general anyway he's like I'll do a CT scan at the beginning you know right before the surgery if it all looks like doable we'll just cut it out if there's an issue we'll send the CT away and get it whatever blah 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 anyway so it turns out that the mass was actually growing into his rib cage and would have been quite uncomfortable Mm, it would have um we named her Big Bertha. She weighed over a kilo. I think it was 1.1 kilograms. Really? Yeah, it was huge. Whoa. The surgeon was Dr. Guy Bird and down at North Lakes, the emergency all hours one, legend, legend, like just a literal legend. Yeah. Um, he took out a heap of other little lumps at the same time. He just like, he was just a pro. He's just mm. a goddamn pro. Makes um, you feel so, so good. Knowing. Yeah, he was just, he yeah. just, I think he's just a very good surgeon, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, they've also got a specialist anaesthetist there, which is why I chose that hospital because I demanded we have a specialist anaesthetist. So, anyway, they let me bring him home like the next day or whatever um, to do his drain care and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, mock track. 
Um, what was I talking about that? Impact. Something to do with oh, because he's old. So anyway, he's got his lump cut out. He's moving better. It's great. He's happier. He's lighter. All good. But he's slow. So we were just saying before, um, when I drive the buggy around the farm, he's like very very slow running in front of it directly in front of it so <laughs> can't go very far he just runs right and he just looks back at me like what he does doing his like sort of old man sort of kind of run waddle thing <laughs> love the waddle <laughs> and he looks back at me he's like ah we're doing stuff and I'm like we are doing stuff at your pace <laughs> very slowly <laughs> yeah I'm eventually going to be doing some stuff that's right when we get there and he runs beside the buggy and he starts out like really like fast but he starts to slow down but I just mm. slow the buggy down so that he like thinks that he's keeping up with us so funny living his best life when he gets out of the pool like I've got this like two steps down into the pool and the second step's like a big like one that goes all all across big lounge mm-hmm. step thing um and he used to just jump first of all he used to jump in the pool constantly and then he used to get off out from yep. the second step but I had to show him he got stuck in the pool Aww. I had to show him where the other the first step is because I'm like are you stuck there like he's oh, like, so just like oh it's a bit high now mom he's like, oh, I don't I'm know just, about this I'm enjoying it but also how do I get out <laughs> uh, I like I had to show him where the first step is and so it's so cute now he like he like um carefully gets back out of the pool using both steps bless him <laughs> so funny because compared to Nala she's four she's just a lunatic man like she just yeah. jumps in and out of that pool like second you open the gate she's in and constantly. out of that pool constantly <laughs> Sonny used to be like that yeah. he doesn't get out in between so he used to even last year I think or it might have been the year before um he used to like I throw the toy they'll go get it and he would get out in between every like retrieve of the toy but now he's learned to stand on the step which I was trying to teach him that um because he gets fatigued Mm. getting Mm. in and out um I was trying to teach him that but he figured it out himself and so he launches he doesn't really want to jump into the pool anymore he kind of launches himself off the step glides into the water like a duck <laughs> and I have to like skull drag Dala away so that he can <laughs> so he can get the toy so he can get the toy and if I let her go it, a second too soon she launches through the air and just does everything she can to jump on top of him and like take the toy real competitor <laughs> she's so competitive with it so funny out of the water she doesn't care she just doesn't mm. she doesn't really fetch anything like she doesn't she'll chase sunny as he he fetches on the ground um but in the water you better get out of her way because she's coming she's a little dolphin yeah mate cannonball right on top of your head and then take the toy and yeah <laughs> i'm like don't drown it <laughs> anyway or if i throw two toys it's better but anyway okay so why was I talking about that? Because if you've got a senior dog, there's going to be a limit to what they can and can't do. So just be aware of that. And one of the conversations I do have with people with a senior dog is that this is a big investment for you to make for a not very long career mm-hmm. and a not very many days a week or not even maybe not even full days career. It just depends on the workplace. So Sunny works from home. 
I have clients here Monday afternoons, all day Thursday and Friday mornings. And he handles that perfectly. Not all the clients are actually inside with the dogs. They choose dogs, goats, horses, whatever. Um, or we go, you know, around the spaces. But that's good for him. That mm. works well for him. Um, but we have a very active lifestyle as well. Like he's, that keeps him young too. So um, I'm not here to tell, like if someone said to me, if I thought like Sonny where he was now and I was like, oh, I'm going to sign him up for the therapy dog thing. I'm just going to do visits or I'm just going to have him at my private practice or whatever. And someone said to me, oh, your dog's over 10. We're not training it. I would be like, okay, well, you're an idiot. So yeah. 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 <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I, I like, I don't want to say to it's you, individual. No. that's right. But depends on the dog. So if you have a senior dog, Yes, you may need to consider a pre-course consult. Um, uh, if you're pretty, like I'm pretty confident in what my senior dog can do um, and what my expectations of my senior dog are. Like Sunny doesn't go to the clinic anymore. Um, every so often I'll take him in for a day just for a bit of fun. Kids go wild because they haven't seen him at all. <laughs> yeah. um, but I am not, I'm not going to just say a, a blanket no. Also, um, small breed dogs, they just live forever. Like They do. Yeah. They just go and go. They just go and go and go. Like my friend's got a dash hound. I'm pretty sure it's like 19. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's ridiculous. So, yeah. Um, in regards to that, if we have some concerns, like we have had. So um, we had these two Labradors, two black Labradors, same age. They were 11. This is years ago. Um rocked up one was living with a breeder she was a breeding dog um very very well established breeder and shower and whatever the other one was a pet dog you the difference between those dogs was astronomical the really? difference between their health and fitness mm. astronomical um and the pet dog one didn't have she got retired sooner and we actually had to get a vet certificate for her so I was like What's, is this dog all right? Whereas the breeder's dog was like so fine. Like wow. she's now got, I think she's got like three dogs with us now. That dog has since passed away. I think she got cancer. It's mm. very sad. Um, but she was old. So, mm. you know. Had a good life. She had a great life. She had a fantastic life. And she did do, and she was 11. So if I had a set, and the, so the other dog, the other 11-year-old dog, she was a therapy dog as well. Totally different levels of capacity. Um, and we just had to talk about, okay, so do you understand <laughs> as yeah. the handler do you understand are you going to make good choices for this dog because I can't make you do anything so um yeah that's those are some of the things that we're considering okay um so we ask about previous training um what we're kind of screening for there is so we get a lot of teams that come through that have done positive reinforcement only training that's fine um, especially, you know, young dogs, that's totally fine. One of the things that we want people to understand throughout the application process is that we are balanced dog trainers. So we're going to be using a combination of um, what we, tools that we may need from all four quadrants. If it's, we're not really dealing with behavioral problems in mm. the scope of this course. So we're not really... <clears throat> We don't really need to draw a lot from all four quadrants, but um, we will if we need to. We follow the principle of LEMA, 
which is least intrusive, minimally aversive. So um, we're going to train the dogs with what works for them and the handler. So the methods that we um, recommend and suggest to you, it has to be a good fit for you, handler, and your dog. There's no good me. I know my methods are a good fit for every dog um, with the methods of tools that I've got within my toolbox. Um, I'd say pretty much every dog. I haven't trained every single dog in the world, so maybe not every dog, but we definitely <laughs> have a lot of success with um, our methods and things like that. So, which is good. However, that's me training your dog. So that's no good if it doesn't fit the handler themselves. So mm. um, if you are heavily focused around positive reinforcement only style training, we are going to be introducing pressure to the dog. So we are going to be teaching the dogs how to cope with pressure um, and how to respond to pressure, how to turn off pressure. Um, and we're going to use guiding and compulsion techniques as well. Um, we have talked, I've talked extensively about that in the Canine Paradigm podcast. So if you're interested in that, I'm just pulling it up um, to find out what uh, episodes they were. But there's two parts to it as it's well. It's a two-part. two episodes. Yes. So it's um, uh, episode 275 and 276, and that's the Canine Paradigm podcast. Get it everywhere. Like, share, rate, review. Um, when you, if you've got any questions or concerns about that because you've been um, training with someone that doesn't uh, advocate those kinds of training methods, you need to do a pre-course consult. You're either you need to um, make a decision for yourself. Well, you don't have to do a pre-course consult. You can make a decision for yourself. Yep, I'm cool or no, nah, I don't, I'm not interested. Or you can book a pre-course consult and we can have a talk about um, our training methods and I can demonstrate for you on either your dog or my dog or whatever and show you what we mean by it. If you listen to the Canine Paradigm podcast, it'll it goes. I'm not going to go into a heap of detail here. It goes yeah. into quite a lot of detail about why we do this and why I am adamant that it's completely necessary and appropriate. Um, it's a this my uh, training style fits me perfectly, and it fits a lot of our teams, like almost all of our teams, really, really well. Um, however, we do have to be aware that you know um, it's not going to fit everybody and that's okay that's fine it's you've got to choose something that fits you um but just be aware that we're going to be um we're balanced we identify as balanced dog trainers uh that's something that you should know about before you spend yeah. the money uh what else have i got in here mm, a rationale why do you think your dog would be a good therapy dog um that's to help people sort of conceptualize like why are you submitting like your dog for this then we have a like art scale a rating scale so you're going to rate your dog on a scale of one to five on the following traits confidence how outgoing they are resilience their socialization to humans so making new friends versus taking a while to warm up to people physical handling socialization to other dogs and crowded places the reason that we are asking these questions is because I'm trying to catch out the ones that are 
rating their dog as a more anxious type of dog, a more introverted type of dog, a more easily offended type of dog, a dog that takes a while to warm up to people, a dog that can be avoidant of touch, a dog that is nervous or defensive around other dogs, and a dog that is overwhelmed in crowded spaces. You may need to press rewind and listen to that again because um, it's really important. When you mark these on here, again, it's not just a red flag. It's me. It's not just a total no. It's me going back to you and saying, can you give me a bit more information about that? It does say in the form, if you rate a three or below, so it's one to five, if you rate a three or below on any of those scales, that can you please provide additional information about that? Sometimes people will write things, they'll write things in there, but then the explanation that they give for it is totally reasonable and not relevant to therapy dog training. Um, there are things that are going to make your dog unsuitable. And I'm going to um, talk more about that in a moment in when we go through the pre-course consult form, which is similar to this one. It also asks you in the application form to identify any of the following problem behaviors. These are, this is a long list, barking at humans at close pro proximity, not at your front door. I don't care if your dogs bark at people at your front door or your front fence. Okay. Mm. Every dog, every dog does that. That's fine. I mean, barking at people, at, not in that context. Barking at dogs, growling at humans, growling at dogs, growling at something else, inappropriate toileting, including excited wing, Whining, jumping on people, knocking people over, destroying property, mouthing humans, biting humans, biting dogs, biting another animal, avoid being touched in certain areas, example, head and ears, separation anxiety or none. If you've ticked any of the boxes, then you need to let us know what circumstances that uh, occurs in. Okay. So these are problem behaviors there's a couple in here that are going to be like well you need to fix that before um, your dog's going to pass their assessment those include barking at humans at, not at your front door growling at humans inappropriate toileting including excited weeing that's hard to fix too so mm. um we need to address that uh knocking people over mouthing humans bail temperament assessment if you're mouthing humans obviously biting humans uh those are the ones that you're not going to pass so if your dog's doing any of those things what about resource need... guarding sam would that yeah, be in there yeah. yeah 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 and you know dependent on the resource as well yeah what it is um so but yes that's definitely an issue the that doesn't mean your dog can't be a therapy dog ever. Remember what I said before about how dog training methods are pretty good. We fix a lot of this for a lot of people and that's without even targeted intervention. That's with them doing our course and focusing on the foundational skills that we're giving them. Um, I'd have to tell you, it's quite often that all like a number of behavioral problems just disappear once we go through the foundational stuff most dog trainers will tell you that as well. Like it's a, it's mm. a well-known thing that you're getting to, in, you know, foundations, getting the basics, improving your relationship with your dog. It fixes a lot of this stuff. That's why just doing a pre-course, just doing the temperament assessment before you do the course, before we get a chance to train your dog, 
I don't know. I don't think it's that's not an fair. accurate reflection. No. Yeah. I don't think that's fair. I think we'd be getting not many dogs over the line. And the idea is that we're we're training you to train your dog. We're, we're working with you on this. So we don't expect you to bring a fully trained dog to us. That's not what we're doing. Um, we're not therapy dog assessors. We're therapy dog and handler trainers. So our job is to train you to train your dog so that you can become a professional dog handler. The things that are, the other thing that's, uh, okay. The <laughs> other things. <laughs> The other things on the list, um, they're issues. They're not necessarily fail the dog issues. Reactivity on the lead to other dogs is a flipping nightmare. We've talked about that before on the podcast. I think it might've even been in the farm stay podcast. Um, it's a nightmare. So if your dog is reactive to other dogs, yes, that's a problem. Doesn't mean your dog can't be a therapy dog. No. Um, does it make life very difficult? Yes. Can, can it make your dog not suitable? Yes. It's a case-by-case case scenario. Um, and also we need to be working on that anyway. So, um, you know, we've had a lot of reactivity fixed. Um, not all of it. Some of it's going to need face-to-face dog trainer mm. stuff. A lot of dog reactivity is linked to the handler as well. Um, and so that takes time to address that sort of stuff. So if your dog's reactive to other dogs, we, you should do a pre-course consult so we can talk about the extent of that and what kind of dramas it's causing and all that sort of stuff and what kind of workplace you want to be in and all that kind of stuff. It's just when I say that kind of thing, it depends is because taking a dog reactive dog to a school not wise because the chances of coming across another dog are like they exist taking saying that a dog reactive dog can't be a therapy dog in a setting like mine where it's a private practice from home three days a week that's stupid so Mm. of course that dog can be a therapy dog there's no other dog at your house that it's going to react to like blah 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 so and there we do have clients that are in these settings so students handlers that are in these settings so that's why we say like it's it's depends on your setting um this other stuff's just annoying destroying property and stuff like that like we just want to know about you know sometimes people tick like seven things on this list and I'm like okay (laughs) Okay. (laughs) we've got to talk (laughs) we need to talk about that excited wing I reckon might be the worst one because um it's I think that's really hard to fix well, yeah, you kind of, it's physiological to a degree mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. 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 That might be a contact Norel from Canine Suticals thing as well. Mm. I can't remember if we asked about that. No, we didn't. Um. So then it says down here, we therapy dog training is designed to refine already pretty good dogs. It's not designed to assess um, and fix all of your dog's behavioral problems and whatever. Like I said, our foundational training stuff is probably going to make a pretty big impact on lots of things, Um, but that's not a guarantee. That's just something that tends to happen. We don't sell the course as, hey, uh, do the course and we'll fix all this stuff with your dog and make it a therapy dog. That's That's not the idea. The idea is that 
you've got a dog that is already suitable um, and then that dog, you know, maybe it has a few, con- you've got a few behavioral things at home, but then we, they sort of just iron out as you're doing the training. If not, we do have options to help you get on track before you commit to a course. So if you don't have a dog trainer in your area that you're working with or you don't want to or whatever, or you can contact us and get our list of locum dog trainers as well, because the, these are the people that are doing assessments for us. I think it's very wise to um, connect with the locum dog trainer in your area and start doing their classes and stuff because they're the one that's going to do your temperament assessment. It's yeah, a lot it's the easier. best relationship to build, I reckon. Absolutely. It's a lot easier to, for them to assess your dog's temperament when they've known you for six months. It's way harder to do it in one hour when they've never met you before and you've never met them before. So uh, that's what I would be doing because um, I'm a bit of a work the system kind of person, but <laughs> I would for sure be doing that and having a relationship with that trainer um, so that they can have an accurate assessment of you and your dog um, and they can help you with this behavioral stuff as well. Most of them, I'm sure. So if not, um, we can do this stuff. So uh, let us know, but it's one-on-one. So, and I mean, other trainers probably gonna have to do one-on-one for behavioral problems as well, like that. So Mm. it's up to you. Just reach out, let us know. Um, But basically those questions in there are screeners to find out, do we need to talk to you more about your situation and maybe organize a pre-course consult so that we can delve deeper into what's going on with you and your dog and what you're hoping to achieve with you and your dog before you spend all this money on the course. Okay, so you've done your application form i've identified a few things and gone oh maybe we do a pre-course consult so you get sent the pre-course consult form or an option to do the pre-course consult or you've just been cruising on our website and you're like i don't know i don't know you haven't se- even seen the application form you're like oh maybe i don't know i might do a pre-course consult find out what all this is about so you've got this form this form is designed to um screen again uh, as to whether or not I think you need to do the pre-course consult Um, and also because when you fill this out it can just be exported and put into my notes these were questions that I used to ask in the pre-course consult waste the whole time getting this information now the information is already there and then it gets uploaded and then I've already got all this before you even arrive and then I know where to go from there and you get better use of your time okay Blah, blah, blah. Time and date stuff. Okay. Dog, blah, blah, blah. Demographics. Same questions. Do you own the dog? Have you owned the dog for six months? Is the dog healthy? Previous training. What are you hoping to achieve with your dog in terms of a therapy dog career? Where would you like to work with them? Things like that. I need to know that because we're going to be looking at you and your dog for that context. Are you already working with them in a therapy context? Are there any behavioural issues? Blah, blah, blah. And then you've got the same scales in there, rating one to five, and you've got the same problem behaviours list as well. Um, And then any other concerns that you might have about the suitability of your dog or your workplace for animal-assisted therapy. So why I wanted to record this is because when people get to their pre-course consult, generally speak, so what can happen a lot of the time is I go like, okay, so that question at the bottom is new. 
what are your concerns about your dog's suitability? Because sometimes people come to the pre-course consult and they don't have an answer for that question. And I'm like, what are you here for? Like you're wasting your money if mm. you don't have questions or something. Like, you know, I want everybody to get the most value from the time. Um, and I, as you well know, have a tendency to just rabbit on. Like I will talk at you for an hour if that's what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I can't guarantee it's get what it's going to be about, but I will talk to you for an hour. There will be talking. Three hours. <laughs> no issues talking at you for three hours mate like you don't don't even need to give me any non-verbal signals that you're listening it's fine like I don't care so <laughs> you know I don't know if that's a good use of your time or money uh for that to happen so I need a bit of structure in this time um to make it as valuable as possible for you and by doing this podcast today like we're actually taking away some of the value of the pre-course consult by giving you this information now. So now if you listen to this and you still want to do a pre-course consult, you're going to work even harder on bringing some notes on what we need to talk about. Otherwise it's definitely need to answer that last question. (laughs) It's just going to be stories about goats and horses. It will. It will. It will. You've been warned. Okay. So, (laughs) okay. So, uh, I should have mentioned as well, pre-course consults can be done teleconference or face-to-face. Um, so just be aware of that. We don't, the face-to-face ones are obviously better because we can meet the dog, um, but it's fine. We can do it. It's typically it, we can do it via a conversation as well. Um, but from doing this chat with us now, you can also take this information and then make a decision about whether or not you want to go to one of the locum therapy, uh, one of our locum assessors and ask them their opinion, but they don't have this information that I'm giving you now. Um, but they do do the temperament assessments for the dog. So um, when they finish their courses, so um, you can definitely do that if you want to, for sure. If you want someone to meet the dog, if you just want to talk to us, then we can do that on teleconference. Okay. So the, um, conversations that I find myself having over and over again um, are around what we're looking for in the dog. So generally speaking, um, like someone brought me a dog the other month um, and it didn't let me pat it for the first 45 minutes of the pre-course consult. That is a dog that I would explain is not suitable for a therapy dog role. The reason for that is because that dog is what I would call an introvert. An introvert is a kind of, well, if you think about it in humans, keep to yourself, happy within, you know, happy with yourself, more um, like maybe shy um, or just happy being sort of quiet and reserved and keeping things cool and under control and, you know versus an extrovert who is loud outgoing very social looking for that sort of stimulation all the time life of the party kind of stuff very you know outgoing sort of thing when you think about the dogs we want to we want you to understand that a 
any therapy dog really needs to be an extrovert. Mm. If they aren't an extrovert, they're probably an introvert, but they're doing an extrovert's job. So if you think about it, like if you yourself as a human are introverted or extroverted, if you're an introvert, the idea of doing a job that requires a lot of extroverted um, traits, such as maybe being like a car salesperson or, you know, something along those lines where you have to approach people and schmooze them and charm them and, you know, do all those sorts of things, build relationships with people all the time and, you know, that sort of stuff, working like a sales rep, that kind of role. I would imagine that an extra, extra introvert would be like, no, no, mm. no thanks. Like, <laughs> no, thank yeah. you. It would just be draining. That's it. And like, maybe you can do it and maybe you do do it and maybe you enjoy doing it as an introvert. Maybe you enjoy your car sales job, person job. Um, but I would say you are at a higher risk of burnout. So when you do that kind of job, that's not naturally in line with your natural traits, you're probably more at risk of, um, yeah, running out of steam faster, finding the job harder, uh, than someone else who's an extrovert and needing a lot more self-care and things like that. We want to address that in terms of the dog. So if we've got the happy idiot Labrador or golden retriever who everywhere you take them, they're like, this is the best place I've ever been. Every person they meet, they're like, you're my best friend. This is the best day of my life. Everything is perfect right now. This is fantastic. Those dogs, they are so much more resilient then the more introverted, you know, maybe you got a little poodle or something like that. I know poodles can be extroverted as well, so don't at me, but <laughs> just making an example. You got a little whatever dog or a big whatever dog and it doesn't feel that way. So sometimes people bring me dogs that we would describe as slow to warm up. The thing about that for that dog is that every day, they are going to have to warm up to new people multiple times. What do you think that does to the dog over a longer term, a longer period of time? To me, I can't conceptualize that that's good for the dog. I can't, I can't understand that in my way of thinking. Yeah. I don't see it getting better. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't yeah. see that as cup filling for the dog. I see that as cup emptying for the dog. Yeah. And then we have to do other things to fill the dog's cup. Okay. But we're taking it into a career that is ultimately naturally cup emptying for the dog. I've got concerns for, about that in regards to animal welfare. Um, so, you know, making sure that we're caring for these animals um, in an ethical way but also client welfare. Like that, to me, that's a dog that's going to be asking for space. Dogs ask for space by either moving away or uh, scaring you away. So whether that's like staring you down or growling at you or biting you, they're either going to move away or they're going to um, bite you. So dogs that move away and are avoidant, that hurts the client. 
the reason that hurts a client is because the client wants the, do the dog to love them. Student wants the dog to love them. They want to feel accepted by the dog. When the dog triggers feelings of rejection, that can then trigger things like worthlessness and stuff like that. That is directly damaging to the client or student's experience. So you've made their day worse because they've now experienced these yucky feelings. Mm -hmm. That is in comparison to a dog that doesn't reject them. So you happy idiot dog that the second this person walks into the room, the dog's like, guess what? We're soulmates. You're my best friend. What do you want to do now? Can you please pat me? You do the best pats I've ever had in my life. Hey, do you, have you seen this? This is my toy. My mommy actually gave me this toy. She said to be very careful with it, but somehow accidentally squeaker came out. I don't know where the squeaker <laughs> is right now. Um, but anyway, this is my special Pluffy uh, and I love it very much, but you can look at it too. And um, okay, but don't take it. No. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. You know, the dogs that I'm talking about. <laughs> That's what their voice you sounds should, like. You should do audiobooks, children's <laughs> audiobooks, Sam. <laughs> Will I get paid a lot of money for that? I'll do it if it's a lot of money. <laughs> As I have previously mentioned, I would just do that for myself. Uh, <laughs> just talk to myself all day long. It would just be the thoughts of a dog and then it's you just. I actually talk for my dogs all the time. Same. Um, my, <laughs> my clients love it they think it's hilarious <laughs> I tell them I can read the dog's minds they think uh, it's so funny it's great it's very entertaining yeah. it's cute um so can you see the difference in like that type of dog the happy idiot mm. that they're gonna make the client feel accepted and important and worthy and connected and all these positive feelings, that's going to make their day better. And if your intention is to build rapport, that's your job is you're going to piggyback onto the back of that rapport that the dog has built for you. If your dog has rejected the client or the student, everything is worse and harder. The client, you're triggering things like anxiety, all sorts of shitty core beliefs and blah, blah, blah. Like you're just triggering stuff. So that's not helpful Dogs that aren't going to engage, not helpful. I describe the dogs as either initiators or reciprocators. We want initiators everywhere we can get them. If your dog's not an initiator, that's okay, as long as they're a reciprocator. So an initiator is a dog that is going to initiate the interaction. So they're the one that comes out and they're, they're making eye contact with the client or student and they're making they're engaging the client in some kind of relationship based sort of some kind of whether it's play pats whatever um the other one is a reciprocator so this dog might not initiate but if someone a human initiates an interaction with the dog the dog needs to reciprocate that so they need to show that person that they yes they are interested so whether that's in a game or a pat or whatever it is the dogs that are really hard for us to pass are the dogs that are tolerators. So they're just tolerating touch and approach and things like that. I really want to see those dogs show me that they want 
this level of interaction. Mm. They they want people to pat them. They want people to play with. They want people to talk to them. Things like that. Can't remember whose dog this was the other day, but it had pre course someone the other day. Oh, that's right. Um, and she had these two little dogs and this like little fluffy dog thing. Um, wanted to sit on my lap, and I was like, "We're best friends." That's so friends. cute. So cute. I was like, oh, I don't even like little dogs. Like they're not so not my cup of tea. But um, this is was very cute. Doesn't matter. Makes you feel if you're so a, special. Yeah, I was like, this dog loves me because I'm lovable. Because I'm worthless as <laughs> worth worthy as a person. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It does. And like we're obviously all dog people. Um, mm. that are listening to this uh stuff going on. So, uh. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. So when you go to your friend's house and they've got a dog and you want to pat it and the dog's like, stuff you, you're no good. Then you're like, oh, damn it. But if you go to your friend's house and your dog's like, guess what? I love you. Then you're like, oh, maybe you live right. with so many fuzzy feelings. That's it. So <laughs> it's as simple as that, guys. So we've just to recap on that. So I'm worried about it from a dog welfare point of view. I'm worried about it from a client well-being point of view and the point of actually having this dog here. What we're not going to be doing is just taking dogs to work with us because we want our dog at work with us. That's not happening, okay? So the dog needs to be able to show us or we need to be able to understand from the dog that the dog wants to do this job. This is hard. If your dog doesn't present at their temperament or pre-course consult on the day as them wanting to do this job, you're not going to pass. We may ask for additional information, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't mean that you're never going to pass, obviously, um, but we just need to, we will need more information before we can pass the dog, whether it's another assessment or just some additional information that you provide, whatever. Um, okay, so that's kind of the main um thing for people to understand dogs that are avoidant of touch the head and ears it's a pain in the ass but we can work around it people will usually go and to pat a dog on the head or ears and so when they duck away people think that they don't like them and they'll stop interacting um but if you depending on what setting you're working in um it can be pretty easy to redirect people and then they find that their dog likes to pat somewhere else and then they're very happy to pat mm. them there. Yep. You know what I mean? Like what we're trying to avoid is relationship ruptures. But um, if we have a rupture, but we can repair it, um, then that's not as big of a deal and can be actually quite useful depending on what role you're working in. However, um, if we are going to be just rupturing relationships and we don't have a way to repair it because the dog's like I'm not I don't want to borrow you like I'm not that is no good so we don't that's not very useful for us this doesn't mean that the dogs have to want to interact with every single person all day long um but it does mean that if you uh pull one of your tricks out of your bag you know like of whatever we talk about this engagement tools um, that we talk about in the courses, if you're going to pull a trick out of your bag, then the dog will be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll engage. Yeah, 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 cool. Rather than a dog that's like, I'm nervous. I am I feel nervous to engage or I feel like stuff you because I'm not interested. Hmm. So those are the dogs that um, 
you know, you at least need to do a pre-course consult, I think, um, or just reconsider whether or not your dog is suitable for therapy dog work because uh, those are the ones that we find the most tricky um, and they're not easy. Yeah, they're not easy to pass because we have to be so sure about this being the right choice for this dog. Yeah. The handler themselves is a part of the equation. I've mentioned that a few times. So the handler themselves, we're looking for someone that can confidently. So we're going to turn you into a, you know, quasi-professional slash professional dog handler. That's not going to fit everybody. So if you don't see yourself as a future professional dog handler, that might be something to have a look at before mm this um in saying that i do think that our courses will help with that um but it's not going to change your personality or um whatever stuff you've got going on for yourself that might be influencing your ability to confidently handle a dog in a workplace in what can become high pressure or stressful scenarios the reason we need competent and confident dog handlers is that your dog is looking to you for support. You're, you're the steady. So, you know, if you know circle security, you're the hands, you're the, the foundation that the dog is relying on to keep them steady. You're co-regulating the dog. So the dog needs to be able to look to you for cues on how they should be feeling and interacting and reacting in that moment. If you internally are losing your flipping mind because Deborah from accounting has walked in and she's was a bitch to you last week or whatever, I don't know. Okay. Oh, Deborah. Bloody Deborah. <laughs> she's a troublemaker. Uh. So <laughs> if there's something, you know, going on, if you're not, if you don't feel like you can become that confident dog handler that your dog needs you to be then maybe that's a bit of a journey for you to go on beforehand um, or being aware of that part of the journey as you come on that journey with us as well and really, you know, um, committing yourself to lots of practice. So, so practice makes perfect. It's your dog. It's you and your dog. They're your hands. It's your lead and your dog. So you've got everything you need to be able to practice and practice and practice and become a proficient dog handler. That's what will make the confidence come about generally speaking yeah and you know unless there's some kind of reason that that's not gonna happen um naturally for you if that's the case like we just will not pass a handler that is um seems flustered if a handler seems flustered why why sam won't we pass why won't you pass a flustered handler because I know that that dog needs you. I know that you're taking this dog into places where it needs you as support. I need to know that you can support the dog in those environments. Second reason, the client or student, your job is to bring them, create a safe space for them. So whoever it is, where this is more important in, in sort of therapy contexts, but is also very important in just professional contexts as well. This needs to be a safe 
space and a calm space and a professional space as well. We're going into workplaces, a lot of us. It's no good for our clients, participants, students or whatever if they come into this space and we're frazzled. So if handling the dog causes you to be frazzled, that's not good for your job or your clients. It's hard. It's really hard to be a professional therapy dog handler. But it can be done. It just some people it's going to take more time than others. But you know what? Some people do our course and they realize they find out how hard it is and how much responsibility it is and they decide not to do it. They finish the course, or they sometimes they don't, sometimes they don't hand their assessments in because they decide it's not for them. Because it is a big responsibility. Mm. You you're taking this dog into a workplace, a dog that you love very much into a workplace and it's you handling your dog in a workplace whilst also doing your job a lot of us obviously if you're visiting doing visitation stuff um that's a little bit less stressful but it's still a lot you're going to be by yourself usually going into these like facilities and things like that and trying to navigate everything that's involved with that which is hard it's hard Mm. it takes a certain type of person who can walk into places like that take a dog with them effectively and professionally handle the dog and you know have like nursing homes and hospitals the majority of your visit is you talking to the people so talk about introvert versus extrovert like you you have to enjoy the work yes yeah you have to enjoy talking to aged care residents about their lives you have to enjoy talking to sick people about their lives you know like you have to be a people person to be a therapy dog visitation person so um you know I think maybe yeah I like it I think we can tell like it's up my alley like you know it's right up my alley I like it um and I'm a confident dog handler so for me it's easier um I can't imagine being anxious in my dog handling flustered by my dog overwhelmed by my responsibilities in the workplace um anxious and nervous to talk to new people, all those things. I just can't imagine trying to take a dog into a facility, especially for the first time. I can't imagine. My dogs would be playing up big time. <laughs> yeah, they'd be picking up on it. Oh, man. They would be <laughs> like, okay, so mum's lost the plot, so we can do whatever we want. Um, <laughs> let's just eat this lady's scone and... <laughs> pee on whatever this is and jump on that and they would just be out of control I'm sure of it but like you said I think practice 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 like because that's going to build a lot of confidence you have to feel confident in your relationship with the dog before you enter a space like that absolutely and we also recommend that you're already confident doing your job role if you're Mm. going into a job Mm. so like all your early career guys like just be careful like you don't really want to go in being early career in you know psych OT things like that it's hard it is hard there's a lot of cognitive load going on already when the client's sitting in front of you trying to tell you what's going on with whatever and you're like scanning your brain like do I know the answer to this question do I have anything sensible to say to this person did I learn anything in my degree how did I get here all that stuff that's going through your mind that's taking up so much cognitive energy you and you need to be doing that you need Mm. to be doing spending a lot of time on your treatment formulations and stuff like that you need to be doing that so do you 
need to be training a dog at the same time or trying to involve a dog in that at the same time? Probably not. But, you know, there's certain types of um, scenarios and clientele and ways that you can schedule your diary and stuff like that that can make this a possibility for you. So um, it doesn't take long to get um, comfortable with a certain demographic or things like that and you've kind of got a bit of a plan going on or you plan ahead um, and you put more time into your formulations and stuff like that and your treatment planning so that you are more ready to go with that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it can be really tricky. It can be really, really tricky. Starting a new job and taking a dog in there, what a nightmare. I was incredibly oblivious when I started. Um, just no one had mentioned to me that it was a big deal. So when I... A big deal bringing a dog with you? Is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah, getting a dog started in yeah. a therapy dog career. I was so excited to get this done. I went and did my course came back and I was like, we're in. Before I even went and did the course, I had told my workplaces in August, I'm doing this course. I'm going to get back to go therapy dogs. can be great. And that was getting them all ready. Like they were all like, okay, whatever. This is 10 years ago. With no, there was, I, so there was like no other teams in Queensland. Like there's, no, there's just no one around. Like there's just nothing. There was nothing. Right. And I'm like, so I'm like, got no idea. I'm no idea how much of a big deal it is. So I go do my training course, get back. I'm straight into a headspace center, mm. straight into a 2000 student high school, straight mm. into a private practice, a um, medium sized private practice, straight away, like bam, straight in there. No consent forms. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. No idea. I don't know what happened. I don't know what I learned when I did that. I don't know what I was doing. What I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. But anyway, just bam, straight into it. So it wasn't until I was in like this group of like graduates of this course and it wasn't like I'm like sharing pictures of like my dog wearing his headspace bandana and all that sort of shit and people started like contacting me being like how did you how are you doing this and I was like what do you mean and they're like how are you how are you doing this with your dog like how are you in these workplaces and I was like because he's there we do we did the course and they're like yeah we all did the course None of us have got our dogs. It was like hardly anyone that was working really? anywhere. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Luckily, I was already months into it. Yeah. Or I, because I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Oh, why? <laughs> Classic. <laughs> oh, because there's a lot to it. <laughs> that you haven't done <laughs> straight in there I was like listen guys this is a therapy dog I got my little coat we're going hilarious <laughs> um so I didn't didn't well, actually I think I've told this story before one of the, the school lady it was my lady contact at the school she was like, okay, she's going to do a risk assessment. And I was like, god damn, what's a risk assessment? <laughs> so I like wrote what's out this assessment? like piece of shit risk assessment um I was pr provisional I was still provisional psychologist mm. I write out this piece of shit risk assessment hand it to her here you go she's like I'll do it 
<laughs> I was like, thank fuck. <laughs> Can I have a copy? <laughs> I didn't even get a copy. <laughs> what an idiot. Oh. oh, so basic. What a fool. Back in the day. Back in the bloody good old days, mate. It's just cowboying up. Shit was Western. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. So uh it was a big deal. I didn't realize. Um fortunately had the best dog in the world. Yeah. Happy, happy idiot. Happy idiot. This is Sunny yeah. that I was talking about before, running in front of the buggy as slow as he goddamn can. So he's he's earned the right to do all that sort of stuff around the farm. He I was lucky, man, lucky. And like the confidence that it built in me, like I'd already been training the dog before I went and did this course. I was pretty confident, sort of went to this course, got all these skills and I was like, great. Like, you know, I'm, I can get the, this dog doing some pretty cool stuff. Great. Um, when it did, you know, when it worked in all these places, nothing bad happened. I had pretty good level of Have you studied dog. dog training by that no. point? Okay. That was pre-dog training. Yeah. 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 Yes. And then, yeah, even to the point, it was quite a few years until um, Jess and I started Therapy Dogs Australia because we couldn't, we wanted people to come and train. There was no one in Queensland. So Mm -hmm. we just had to, and all these people saw me with my dog at at my workplace and were like, I'm bringing my dog. And I was like, you can't, you got to train them. And they're like, I'm not going to go travel and do that. And I was like, okay, well, this is an issue. And then I went and Became a dog trainer. Anyway, the point is, it's hard, man. It's hard. It's really hard. In the grand scheme of things, it's a lot easier if you are already good at your job that you're doing or you like the idea of volunteering and going to speak to residents. Um, It's even better if you have a really happy dog that wants to do it um and some level of management over that dog but we will teach you that um but yeah it's it looks some people make it look easy it's not easy but like max is saying like with practice and you know put the time into it i think that the majority of you can get there in terms of becoming you know, quasi-professional dog handlers or mm. really it, it really it is a professional dog handler, really. So I and that's what we expect. We expect that you um are a professional in your dog, handling your dog, because that's what's required. Um and you should be excited by that. That should make you excited. If that's not making you excited, then this might maybe you're not ready yeah, or maybe wanting. it's just not right. Maybe it's not right for you. If if I'm saying to you, you're going to become a professional dog handler and you're like, what the hell? Uh, Then it's not right for you. It's because it's not right to take dogs into workplaces and schools and visitation settings and not be a professional, act professionally around it, have a professional standard of skills and things like that. We don't have a requirement in this country that you have to have a um you know certificate level of dog handling um hang on to your hats if that comes in because Mm. it's hard work it's like when I did my certificate it is hard work it Mm. is a lot of work to get through those 
um, accredited courses. Hopefully it'll be something like a statement of attainment of certain um, electives of those courses. Uh, I don't know what the future holds for this industry. It's coming though. It's coming. I mean, we're expected to do it with um, horse handling. So I'm doing my state. I'm doing a statement of attainment in horse handling, instructing of horse handling at the moment. What a nightmare. What a nightmare. Mm. The quizzes are really easy. Um, but you have to do all this practical stuff and you have to video it or have to go into the, luckily I'm local to this place, go into the place for a day. It's going to cost me a fortune because I can't be bothered filming it. So it's going to, you know what, because I'll get it wrong. I'll film it and I'll film the wrong thing because I cannot read a criteria sheet to save my life and I've never been able to. I'm not a criteria sheet. I do not You can write that. one, but. I can write one. Yeah, because mine's written for people that can't read them. That's, <laughs> it's very clear because I'm like, no one understands. No one in my head, no one understands criteria sheets. But really, it's just me who's like, what are you asking? What are you asking me to do? I'm reading this thing like six times, and I'm like, there's no, there's no instructions. There's no instructions. <laughs> the instructions are probably somewhere else that I haven't read because I can't be bothered. <laughs> Now I have to go into the place and pay for a day and probably a million dollars. But anyway, it's a pain. This mm. stuff is a pain. You have to get mm. assessed. Sucks. So we'll make the most of it <laughs> before that happens. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so I think I probably answered most of the questions. Um. The frequent consult is your opportunity to ask us questions as well. Oh, one of the questions that people ask us is why, what, how do our courses run? It's all on the website, but for people who like to have a little chat about those things, we have a couple of opportunities for people to be involved in our courses. We have a typical offering. A typical is Mondays. So the course runs all day on a Monday. The clinical course is five Mondays in a row. The community course is four Mondays in a row. We also have the intensive courses or semi-intensive courses. Those run from a Monday to Friday within one week, or we've done a couple that have been. They can two sometimes days. be over two weeks. Yes, sometimes that, that's a semi-intensive. Mm. So in January we did a community course on that was Monday, Tuesday the fifteenth and sixteenth, and Monday, Tuesday the twenty-second and twenty-third. I like that one. I like the semi-intensives. The intensives are hard. They are mm. intensive. Don't do an intensive. If you're the kind of person who is going to really uh, get tired, like tire out from it, um, yeah, it is it is a lot to do those intensives. However, some people are very, very driven and they just want to get in, get it done, then that's for you. If you're happy to train your dog outside of those five days, so start looking at the training videos, start training it as soon as you're enrolled and paid, you get access to that. Start training your dog off the videos before your intensive. We look at your videos of your dog during the intensive, but you're not going to be able to get your dog trained in five days on all this stuff, new stuff that we're teaching you. And be prepared to keep training a dog after the intensive. If you can do that and not put a heap of pressure on yourself, then it's a great way to get through the five days of theory um, in a group setting and just smash that out and get that done. People love it. Everyone says mm, it's intensive, mm. but they love it. It's great. Um, so there's that option and we have the self-paced option that is more expensive because you need to do if the clinical course, you need to do five hours of one-on-one -on -one tuition 
with either Amy or myself. In the community course, you'll be doing four hours of tuition, one-on-one. That's why there's an additional cost to it because that's our additional five hours of time um, outside of all these other courses that we're running. So the benefit to that one, it's self-paced. So you can do it at your own leisure. You don't have to take five days off of work. They're quite popular, aren't they? Sam? Super self-paced. popular. Yeah. Super popular. Mm. Um, but, you know, like if, if, so the options fit all different people. Like we just have, we do have a um, a range across mm. of enrollments across the deliveries. Um, and that's why we keep doing them because um, all these different types is because they just seem to fit people. Um, the self-paced, um, if you are in a field where doing your supervision with Amy or myself, who are both STAP trained board approved supervisors as psychologists, then that can count as your supervision hours as well. So if you factor that into the budget and there's a lot of active PD available um, in the course itself as well, whichever method you do, there's um, active PD there. However, just it depends on what your schools say, um, but the self-paced one is where you are going to get five hours in the clinical of supervision, which is half your supervision for the year. And, yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. And when Great you way to bra- spend it. Yeah, when you break down the cost, it's cheaper than my supervision that I pay for. So, you know, when you break down the cost, I think it's worth it. But, um. Yes, we don't obviously don't want everybody doing self-paced because I don't have time for everybody no. to do self-paced. Believe it or not, I do have clients of my own to work with. So uh, that's how the courses run. The dog doesn't need to be with you during the day of the courses. We log on at 9 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. You'll be out by 3 o'clock-ish if you're community or 4 to 4.30-ish if you're clinical. You will train your dogs and you will um, take videos of that and the activities that we give you. And then you'll show the videos in the group setting. If you're in a group or individually, you'll do that in your tuition time. Um, And we'll give you dog training feedback from those videos in a group setting. So don't do the group if you don't want to be in a group and get group feedback, um, as in our feedback in front of the group it's a group training opportunity. So the idea is that the other students get to learn from watching each other's dogs and handlers. So it's, it's a better learning experience, but mm. some people don't like it. Some people don't um, cope well with feedback in a group setting and that's fine. We have a self-paced option for you. So um, what else do people always ask about the courses? You, We don't have a like due date. Um, I like to tell people up to three months from the end of their course date is when we'd like to see them submit their final assessments. Um, But it doesn't, you know, you can, we can extend that, you know, sometimes people have life stuff get in the way and that's fine. The reason I say three months is because I think if you leave it longer than that, you probably won't do it. Um, I think it's important to have. Yeah. You don't want it to fade. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also the information, you want everything to be fresh. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's really important that we don't have big gaps or, mm. you know, we're going to, things will be a lot harder. If we just mm. keep it consist, keep consistent with our handling of our dogs, especially as well, it's going to make life a lot easier. 
Um, 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 I'm pretty sure that's the majority of the questions that people ask. We use Google Drive and Zoom. Um, so if you can handle those, uh, what are they called? Programs? Platforms. Platforms. If you can handle those platforms, that'd be great. If not, they're pretty easy to use and we will troubleshoot that with you as well. Um, we do always have at least one or two people every course that get stuck with um, the technology. That's fine. We, we, we're we very used to um, troubleshooting that and problem solving through that. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah. I think that's the majority of the information that people are after in that pre-course consult. So mm. by the end of this podcast, you should be able to determine whether or not you need a pre-course consult. And if you still want to book a pre-course consult, please do. Um, absolutely. Please do that. Uh, How do they get in touch with you? That all goes, there's Email? a pre-course. It's oh, on the, the, the form. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you go on the website and go under courses and look at pre-course consult, there's a you can get the form from there and then it'll you fill it in and it'll come through to us and then automatically we'll have, a, have a look at it and and see what we need to do. Um we we definitely want to make time for people's pre I think it's wise. I'm the kind of person that would do a pre-course consult. Um for a variety of reasons. I'm the kind of person that would do them, which is why we offer them. Um but you know, they're not necessary. Like sometimes I get people's application forms through or their pre-course forms through and I'm like, why do you want to do a pre-course consult? Your dog seems fine. Um, but they might be wanting to check us out or just get, um, some people want to get started like um, as well, et cetera, et cetera. There's all sorts of different reasons why people would want to spend that time with us. So they might want to talk us through. So I will always talk through workplaces as well and talk about whether or not I think the workplace is suitable, what types of working roles are suitable and things like that. Um, and we, you know, discuss things like we've discussed today about like, you know, suitability in terms of things like not handing our dogs off to handlers that haven't trained with us and things, people that don't know the dog and stuff like that. One of the things that we find really, really tricky for therapy dogs is being mobile. If you're a mobile therapist as well, um, it can be really, really tricky for a few reasons. Like new environments and things New like environments, that. you need to do risk assessments um, in your all your new environments. Other people have pets. So people that have, if you're visiting people's homes and they've got pets, that's a nightmare. There's absolutely zero chance I'd take my dog in anywhere where someone's got a pet, especially mm. a pet dog. You don't know who they are or the, yeah. the animals. When you're doing home visits, sometimes um, it's normal for there to be siblings and people like that around that are, you know, it's a far less uh, structured sort of environment and setting that can make life really hard. Um in terms of managing a dog and multiple humans as well. Uh, and the dogs are overstimulated by a new environment. So they will spend a lot of time canvassing the place, sniffing and things like that, which is disengagement. They're just disengaged from the human. I don't tell people that it's a flat out no. If they want to try it and they think it's right for their dog, then that's fine. I think it's exhausting for the dogs. I think that being taken to a new place, a new environment uh, multiple times a day, being in and out of the car multiple times a day. I think that's a lot for mm. most dogs. Um, and I think sometimes people have to, we've, I've warned people before about it and they've gone and done it and 
you know, thinking come it'll to be the fine. Same conclusion. They've come to the same conclusion. Yeah, they've yeah. come back and said it's it's actually really really hard. Um, same thing about multiple visits. So like if you're going in, if you're you know like an OT that goes into schools, okay, try and go into one school per day um, for X amount of time. I wouldn't go to three schools in a day with a dog. No way. Like I just think it's a lot. I think we just need to understand that our dogs are taking in a lot more sensory input from our environments than what we are. So I think we're going to exhaust our dogs Mm. um, doing stuff like that. Again, I'm not the be all and end all on this stuff. Like, yeah, you do need to make your own assessment on a lot of it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like I'm trying to give information that I think will protect the welfare of the dog um, to the best that I can from the information that I've gathered over the the last 10 years, that's not, I don't have all the information. I'm not the final voice on this stuff. And there will be other reputable trainers and and practitioners out there that will be like, I've been doing locum with my dog for five years and they love it. They, if they do, they do, then that's good. Um, And I'm happy for that. You know what I mean? Like, or if you've got a facility dog somewhere and you're like, shut up, Sam, like our facility dog has a perfect life. And I'll be like, great. Like, that's good. I'm glad your dog has a perfect life. Um, genuinely, like I'm genuinely happy for that. Um, I just don't know how to make that happen on a broader scale Mm. of things. And I think warning people that locum probably isn't being a mobile therapist probably isn't going to work with the dog. The reason I'm saying that is because a, I want you to be aware of the welfare concerns for the dog. B, if you're not willing to leave your mobile job, I want you to know that you're about to waste $2,000 on this training to get in your car and realise that this is very difficult to do with your dog and your dog hates it and is exhausted after one visit and you've got to drive them home or whatever the case might be. Again, based off of I've, I've taken my, I used to take my dog to one person's house. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Exactly all the things that I said was a nightmare. Nightmare. Um, I did that because I, I was trying to engage this client. But anyway, um, the multiple, multiple, multiple mobile therapists have come back and yeah. told me the, exactly the same thing. So that's not to say that it can't be done. I'm just warning you that it may not be able to be done. So just have a think about that before you spend all your money on the course. Unless you're like richy rich and then you can just... Spend all yeah, your money it on doesn't the course anyway. Have an impact on you. Yeah. It's fine. By all means, yeah. come along. Yeah. Buy whatever you want. Go to our yeah. online store. <laughs> <laughs> we accept donations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sam. I think that was Pleasure. good. And yeah, if um, anyone has any questions, well, the next step's the pre-course consult. Sorry for yammering on so much, guys. Hopefully, um... the more information, the merrier. Yeah, hopefully you've found the information useful. Feel free to actually don't leave a review if you didn't find it useful. If you <laughs> did find it useful, <laughs> then you can leave a review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, Sam. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in studying with Therapy Dogs Australia or you have a few more questions before deciding, please get in touch with us by emailing courses at therapydog.com.au or visiting our website at www.therapydog.com.au for more information and FAQs.